the, uh, the reading from the book of Joshua um, is what we're, we're going to look at that text in just a minute. Um, but I want you to know sort of the context of what is happening at that moment. So the people of Israel were uh, slaves in Egypt and they had been uh, set free. They had gone through the sea, being parted and wandered in the desert for 40 years on the promise that they would eventually have a land of their own. And so they were heading toward the promised land and Joshua is the story of the Israelites coming into the promised land. So our reading is from Joshua chapter 1. They are just about to enter the promised land. The one who had led them through the wilderness, Moses, has died. And now Joshua is taking over. He had been Moses' assistant. And now he is the one who is going to lead the people into the promised land. And they, the promised land is occupied. And um, so they're going to face all kinds of difficulty getting into the promised land um, and all kinds of problems with, with people basically trying to stop them from coming in to where they're living, which makes a lot of sense. And so Josh, uh, the Lord speaks to Joshua and tells him that he needs to be strong and courageous as he leads the people uh, to occupy the land um, because they're going to face all these different nations who are living there um, and it's going to be a real fight um, to get in. And so this text is about that. Now, I wonder if, uh, if we can somehow relate to this, uh, being on the edge of a promise or being on the edge of a future. Um, the church often in Canadian societies tends to feel less like it's on the edge of entering a promise and more like it's just, a, just entered into the wilderness and is going to have 40 years of exile um, or 40 years of wandering. The church often feels that way. Christians often feel that way in our society. But our church seems to be trying to do something new. Um, our congregation uh, is an amalgamation of two churches that came together with a view toward a future together. Not out of a sense of, uh, you know, well, things are going terribly and we need to we need to somehow just uh, get together and hunker down while we're wandering the desert together, but with a sense of there's a direction, and there's a purpose, there's a promise, there's a hope there, um, of working together on something. And I think we actually need more things like that in the church, where we're looking ahead to promise, looking ahead to hope, rather than looking at the current situation and looking back and saying, well, it was better before. We need a lot more of looking ahead to how uh, it's good now, and, it can, and we can continue to get even better. And so I want to do more of that in, in our church, um, and I hope more congregations will, will look at their future that way. Um, and, I, and I think it's hard, though, much like when Joshua stood on the edge of the promised land with the people, it's kind of scary. God has to tell him three times, and at the end of the speech actually command him to be strong and courageous. Because he's probably shaking in his boots. Like many of the Israelites. And I think there was uh, a few reasons for that. Uh, one is the impending battles that they've got. So, I mean, their very lives are going to be on the line. So that's scary enough. But I actually think bigger than that is just that they have, they have known wandering in the desert. They, they can do that. 
They know setting up the tabernacle and they know living, uh, you know, uh, trusting that God is going to provide in the wilderness. But now, settling into a whole new situation and a whole new place, that's hard. That's scary because they don't know it. And actually, lots of people who got out of Egypt and, uh, and they, they weren't even there anymore. They weren't alive. So a lot of these people who are entering the promised land were children and grew up in the wilderness. So they didn't know at all what they were getting into. Joshua himself doesn't really know. He's assisted Moses through the time of wandering in the wilderness. But he doesn't know what it's going to be like to go into the promised land. And this is kind of the nature of doing anything new or looking ahead to any kind of promise or any kind of change. Is it scary because we don't actually really know what it's going to be like. And our congregation has had to take a number of steps of faith already to, toward our future. So I think we can relate to this, to this reading. I also think that it isn't just about churches, but it might be uh, true in our lives. Whenever we face sort of a major change or um, whenever we are taking a, a step or a risk, it's scary. It's scary to do that in our lives. And sometimes we do it at great personal risk. Uh, we, may be, we might not be risking our lives in the sense of how they were risking their lives. Um, but we may be risking things like, well, uh, you know, is this, if it's a career choice, is this going to work? And uh, if it doesn't, then you know, how are we going to pay our, our bills? Um, or someone's deciding to go back to school. Well, what, how am I going to afford that? We even are taking risks when we're making decisions about, you know, are our kids going to go to school here, or are they going to go to childcare here? Or, but we might even be taking risks when we decide we're going we're gonna to downsize, um, and we're going to go into a, into a condo or an apartment, or, or uh, any of those kind of big life decisions we face are scary and risky. And so if we can't relate to it on a church level, I think for sure we can relate to this idea of being on the edge of what could be really good, but being scared of, being scared of taking that step. Now, if we follow through on the story of uh, Joshua and what happened with them entering the Promised Land, um, we get to Joshua chapter 3 is when they actually do start uh, going in to the land. And I just want to read to you or remind you of that uh, section. This is from uh, Joshua chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. Um, so God is giving a command to Joshua, and God says to Joshua, You are the one who shall command the priests to bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. So that's what Joshua is supposed to tell the priests. Okay, they're going to carry the ark. They're going to walk into the waters of the Jordan River. They have to cross the Jordan River to get into the Promised Land. And then stand still. Okay, that's God's command. So then Joshua said to the Israelites, Draw near and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, by this you shall know that among you is the living God, who without fail will drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. The Ark of the Covenant, 
of the Lord of all the earth is going to pass before you into the Jordan. So now select 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And when the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, when their soles of their feet rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan flowing from above shall be cut off. They shall stand in a single heap. So much like when they crossed the sea, getting out of Egypt, now the Jordan River is going to be stopped, and it's not going to part, but it's going to be stopped, and there'll be this big heap of water that God's going to do. Now, what amazes me about this story, this is exactly what happens, right? If you follow through on the story, um, they do get the ark, and the priests go, and they go and stand in the water in the Jordan River, and the, the water stops, and the people cross through, and it's great. But what amazes me about this is God tells Joshua, and then Joshua tells the people, this is what's going to happen. I mean, imagine having a imagine having a congregational meeting, and uh, and here's the here's the strategy, everybody. We're gonna get the elders of the church, and we're gonna go and we're gonna take the Bible, and we'll go down to the Red River, and we'll stand in the river, and then it's gonna stop, and we'll walk over there. Like, imagine doing that. I mean, that's crazy. It's ludicrous. But that's what Joshua does. He hears from God, this is what's going to happen, and he actually tells the people, this is what God's going to do. So just, you know, go and stand in the river. And you'll get into the promised land. No problem. Even more amazing, they do it. I mean, I, if I was there and was one of the priests, I'd just say, Joshua, you're crazy. No, we're, we're good on this side of the Jordan, thank you. Or we'll go three miles down to the ford, or let's build a bridge or something. But we're not going to go stand in the water and look ridiculous. I mean, what if it hadn't worked? What if they'd done all of that and got down there and they'd stood in the water? And I can't imagine being one of those priests and you're standing there thinking, you know, is God going to do what Joshua said God's going to do? If it hadn't worked, Joshua's taking a huge risk, isn't he? I mean, think about the credibility. He's taken over from Moses. <laughs> and now, this is what he's telling the people. He's taking a huge risk. I mean, his leadership is either going to take off or it is done. And the people are either going to get into the promised land and it's going to be fantastic and God is going to lead them and provide for them, or they are done. I mean, that's the level of risk they're taking, right? Because if it doesn't work, they just go back to the wilderness. Wow. I wonder God said be strong and courageous. I mean, this is far more courageous than going into the battle. Now, if we follow through and see what happens in the rest of Joshua, we get to Joshua chapter 6, and this is the story of Jericho. And it begins like this, uh, in verse 2, The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have handed Jericho over to you along with its king and soldiers. Actually, that hasn't happened yet. God's just saying that this is the reality. I've handed Jericho over to you. But actually, not at all. They haven't been to Jericho at all yet. And then God says to Joshua, You shall march around the city, all the warriors circling the city once. Thus you shall do for six days with seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. 
the priests blowing the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall charge straight ahead. Right? We made songs about this. I mean, what a great strategy, a great plan that God has for getting into the city of Jericho. Really? Walk around the city. So day one, let's just walk around the city once, and then we'll you know, take the rest of the day off. It's fine. Day two, do that again, do that six days, and then on the seventh day. I mean, this is, this is why it works, everybody. On the seventh day, not once, but seven times, because seven is the magic number that always works. And then, you know, blow the trumpet, and, uh, and then everybody just shouts. I mean, imagine if nothing happened. Then what? What a great plan, God. I mean, we really like committee meetings, and we really like things like, uh, you know, okay, let's look at all the options, and let's, you know, weigh the, weigh the pros and cons, and all of that. God doesn't do any of that. I mean, show me that in the Bible. God speaks, and the people are trying to listen to what God's saying. And then they take action in the face of their fear. I mean, they must have been terrified going up against Jericho. They've got these huge walls. What could we possibly do? Well, God provides the answer. I mean, there's no way I would do it. I'd say, well, that's ridiculous. Forget it. Let's turn back. <coughs> now, we don't really have, uh, we don't have a Joshua, um, and I'm not advocating for there to be a single person who just says, well, God's telling us to do this ridiculous thing, go stand in the river, and, and it's gonna all work. Um, but I think, and I think that it is a good thing about the way we do things, where we do things in groups, and we try to discern together. But it's not about just weighing pros and cons, it's about actually discerning, well, what is it that God is saying to us, and where is it that the Spirit is leading us? And yes, that gets more complicated in groups. If you've got a Joshua or a Moses and he can just tell you, that's great. But this is what we need to be about. It's our way of coming at this is through prayerful discernment, really listening for God. And I think this is in our own lives as well. I mean, the reason this worked with Joshua and with Moses before him is that they, had, they, they were convinced, they knew that God was the one who was speaking to them. I mean, we can't miss that. If we miss that and we think, well, it's fine to just have some harebrained scheme. I could just say I've got a harebrained scheme and it's God telling me. That, that's actually not fine. It's that God actually really needs to be telling you. And so you need to be consistently in your life around the decisions that you make when you're taking risks and when you're afraid, going to God and asking God to lead and guide and direct. And the same for the church. I mean, it's even worse when the church doesn't do it. Because we ought to do it. Individual believers, whatever committees, as a whole congregation, the elders, all need to be about prayerfully discerning. God's leading. We're not always going to hear as directly as Joshua heard. But I think we need to try get a sense for what the Holy Spirit is telling us. And I think we've been doing that. But 
that actually isn't enough. Prayerful discernment is not enough. We also need to take an example from the story of Joshua and take action in the face of fear. Because what if when you discern what well, we really believe God is telling us to do this, or I really believe God is directing me, but it does look kind of crazy, like standing in the river or walking around the city. We have to be willing to trust in God that God will come through. So prayerful discernment, but then also action, believing and trusting in God. I mean, this is why doing discernment together in a group is so important. And it's not in the text, but I have to believe that the Israelites were, in a sense, doing that. They didn't really have a dictatorship, other than God being the, the real dictator. They had, an, they had an individual leader, yes, but they still had the elders of the people and the heads of the tribes, and they had the priests, and they all had to kind of say, yes, we're going to do it. It wasn't just that Joshua commanded it, and so they had to. Joshua said it, and they trusted that it was from God. So they were doing that together. So important to do that together. And so we'll continue to, I, I hope, take risks and step, take one step after another for God. Uh, we're doing that in trying to figure out how to build a new building together. But we did that in coming together as two congregations, amalgamating into one to form prairie. And I hope we will do that in our lives. The thing is, what if, what if what we're doing doesn't work? Like, what if we're wrong? Like, what if we end up being the priests standing in the water and, and then the waters don't make the heap? Because that's a real possibility. That's where the fear, that's the root of the fear. What if, it doesn't, what if God doesn't come through? Or what if we discerned incorrectly? And we didn't get it quite right. Well, the thing is, if, if we're right, and then God does come through, like all the money comes through to build a building, and everything's wonderful, and if, then we can, all we can do is point to God and say, look at what God did. God is so great. It's not like we've done that. So that's the witness. But when it all falls apart, there's a different kind of witness. And that is that we will continue to trust and have faith in God. That even though we were way off base, God doesn't abandon us as his people. So if things fail or fall apart, whether it's in the church or in our individual lives, the new witness is in a God who always puts things back together when things go wrong. When we fail, will we trust God enough with our lives to, to put the pieces back in place? And sometimes we say we will, or when we get in those situations, though, we, we often have a time clock on God. You know, why haven't you put it, things back together in these three months that it's been really hard? Or these ten years? I mean, how long, really? The Israelites uh, had 40 years of wilderness wandering. Later, they end up with 50 years of exile in Babylon where the witness was trusting in God to put things back together. And this is why I wanted us to hear the, the familiar story of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Because when Jesus prayed beforehand, he did not want to go through what he had to go through. He didn't want to die. And he prayed that God would take that away from him. But then he added to the end of that prayer, but not my will, but yours be done. And so God's will was getting worked out and being done in the midst of what looked like complete abject failure. I mean, this is the core story of the Christian faith. And what happens on Good Friday? The Savior dies, and all the followers, except a, a small group of women, completely flee. I mean, if, if that's where the story stopped, Jesus' ministry and life was a total failure. Complete failure. And some of it looks really good. I mean, there were thousands flocking to him and, and, and all that. Where were they in Holy Week? Things were going really well, and then suddenly, nobody wants to stand there with Jesus. Total failure. And what God does out of that, and God works through that and brings new life and hope and resurrection. And Jesus told them that was going to happen, yet they're still not there. So whether things are successful and we can point to God and say, look how God came through, or whether things fall apart, in both cases we keep pointing to God. In both cases we keep trusting in God. I mean, what, what if we were willing to do that? What if we trusted in God that way enough with our lives and with our church, which is really God's church? What if all of us actually prayerfully discerned God's will and acted on it courageously? What if we were committed to that as believers and as a church? I don't know. I think that would be pretty remarkable. I mean, not just us, but imagine if, imagine if all Christians started doing that in our country. Acting with confidence and courage. With our faith in God as the source of that. I mean, most of us do not do that in our weekly lives. And imagine if we did. We have that opportunity to act with confidence and courage. With the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in us and behind us. And so let's do that. Discern prayerfully and then act in the face of fear. Amen.